You're up. Go for it. Okay. Are we using our names? Sure. If you feel comfortable. Okay. And your social security number? My, yeah, my, my bank account number. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Olivia. And I'm Amanda. And we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 on domestic violence today. First podcast. <laughs> yes. So this is going to be a learning curve. A small one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We thought it'd be super important to get information out there. Everybody's at home. This is an easy way for people to listen and learn, know what resources are out there. It's an interesting time to be alive and especially interesting with people that are experiencing domestic violence. So we thought we'd jump on and give some information, talk about what we do and how we can help in our community people experiencing violence. Yes. So we are Safe Passage. Do we want to just go over kind of some of the things that we do and ways that we try to help out the community? Yeah. We are located downtown Coeur d'Alene on 4th Street at 850 North 4th Street. That's our main office. Uh, We are open, still open during the stay-at-home orders Monday through Friday, 830 to 5. We are following everything in place to make it as safe for anybody that's accessing services or dropping off any donations. We are limited staff. All the precautions that the CDC has given out for essential businesses, we're following. Yeah, and we're also available 24-7 over the phone for anybody who maybe isn't able to or isn't comfortable with leaving their houses as well. Yes, and that is 208 664-9303. And at the end, we'll give a bunch of information on how you can contact us if you are not comfortable leaving your house as well. Yeah. And if phone call is not an option for someone. Some of the services that we offer, um, we have uh, court support. So we're still able to support people within the court system trying to get protection orders. Um, Maybe there's a felony or a misdemeanor arrest. We have advocates still going into the court system, supporting survivors in our community, navigating the criminal justice system, help facilitating conversations and reporting processes between a victim and law enforcement. Yeah. We also have counseling available at our office um, during the COVID-19 situation, we're working on switching that to being done remotely. So that's available for free for people who we're working with. So that can be a really good option for a lot of people who maybe kind of need that like additional sort of support from a counselor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of our services are free and confidential. We serve everybody um, that is or has experienced domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, human trafficking, stalking. Uh, We also support secondary victims, and that includes family and friends that are impacted by these things as well. Um, Another service we have, we have a 24-7 response to the hospital. So we are still going to the hospital um, to Kootenai Health if somebody is sexually assaulted or is physically assaulted due to domestic violence. We're able to give services still. We are able to talk about what rape kits look like, talk about options with reporting. We help survivors fill out crime victims' compensation. 
We have clothes at the hospital, so if somebody needs to give their clothes for evidence, we're able to give them clothes to leave in. Um, we're able to set them up with safety afterwards if going home isn't the safest option. Yeah, so that might look like different things. Um, sometimes that can be our shelter. We do have a shelter in the area, but its specific location is kept confidential just for safety of everybody staying there. Um, we also keep any information about people staying there completely confidential also. Um, so that shelter is available for women 18 and older who are in a situation where maybe they're not safe at home, they don't have other places to go, things like that. They obviously can bring their children with them if they have children and also super fun because they can bring their pets with them if that's if they have pets, um, which is cool because sometimes that can be a pretty significant barrier to someone leaving a relationship because a lot of places or areas that they could go might not be pet friendly, but we are, we do allow pets to come. So that shelter's also equipped with things that people might need um, if they had to leave their home really quickly. So like food, pet supplies, baby diapers, bedding, hygiene products, stuff like that. And we have people working there 24 seven to kind of provide just like support and safety, and really working with people the whole time that they're staying there to make sure that they're set up to do well once they do leave. So they're set up for, you know, long-term success if that's like helping them find a new job or a place to go afterward or kind of whatever that looks like for them. We have a children's advocacy center. This is a part of Safe Passage. Uh, this would include any child or anyone under the age of 18 or certain people with mental disabilities that have reported sexual assault or physical assault. Um, how that works is somebody reports that to law enforcement or health and welfare. And then health and welfare or law enforcement contacts the Children's Advocacy Center. And at the Children's Advocacy Center, we have a director and a forensic interviewer, and a family advocate. And the forensic interviewer is especially trained in having conversations with young adults, children, um, in a trauma-informed way. And the whole point of the Children's Advocacy Center is that that person coming in there only tells their, has to tell their story one time. It's recorded. It's used as evidence. Our family advocate there will support the non-offending caregivers, give them information, um, anything that that family might need. They'll be able to give resources or kind of set them up for whatever success looks like for them leaving the Children's Advocacy Center. Yeah. And we also have our outreach team. Yeah. <laughs> um, our outreach team, we provide a lot of like curriculum and presentations, especially in middle schools and high schools all over the five northern counties of Idaho. And we try to give students as much information and resources and tools to hopefully keep themselves and other people in their lives as safe as possible, um, especially in relationships. So that's super fun. We also do a lot of education at the North Idaho College campus in Coeur d'Alene. Um, we have on-site offices at several schools to just kind of provide ongoing confidential support and like resources for students. And we're also available to sit down and meet one-on-one -on -one with students at any high school or middle school in those five northern counties too. And we do a lot of bystander intervention training, which is basically us talking with students or community members 
about how we can keep violence and harmful behaviors from happening and also giving people tools for kind of talking about what we can do if we see or know about violence happening and just kind of generally talking about how we can keep our schools and our communities and just our areas as safe as possible. And especially now uh, with the stay-at-home order and, and students not being in school and learning online, or if you have anybody in your house, or if you want to learn more about dynamics of domestic violence and sexual violence, we have recorded copies of our presentations. We're able to send those out. We're able to post them. So contact us if you want more information or if you want a learning opportunity for your business, for your, your children. Anything like that, we're able to give information online during this time, during the COVID-19. All right, COVID-19 and domestic violence. I mean, I think in general, this is a really uh, troubling time for a lot of people if you're not experiencing violence in general. And if you are even more, people's stress level and anxiety are up altogether. So adding on top of that, domestic violence in the household just brings it to another level. Yeah, it kind of is one of those things that sort of builds on itself. Like it just adds a lot more stress and just like difficulty to an already stressful and difficult situation. And we're seeing a lot of information coming out on a lot of worry for our community and a lot of worry for survivors in our community about what this is going to look like for them and how it's going to impact them. And I think in general, it's it's pretty valid. Some concerns we have or the community has or what we've seen is survivors are stuck at home with their partners and people are losing their jobs. Financial stress is, is kind of going up a little as well, which can impact the whole relationship. Yeah. I know that reading some people at like the National Domestic Violence Hotline and kind of some information that they have shared, you know, when we look at domestic violence, it's rooted in like patterns of gaining power and control. And so as this virus is so like, there's so many unknowns and there's so much that just like we don't understand and we don't know what's going to happen, especially if people's jobs are maybe um, at stake or they're not sure what's going to happen with their jobs or their financial situation a lot of people are kind of feeling that lack of control. Um, and so the thought is, you know, and somebody who maybe is can't manage that could kind of take those feelings out on their partner in kind of abusive ways. Yeah. And practicing social is- isolation right now is probably really tough with people experiencing domestic violence because a part of that is a part of their support system. It might be the only time that they're in a space where they feel safe is when they're with somebody they trust, their friends or their family. So trying to stay healthy, but isolating from their support systems is another way that it can impact safety in those relationships. Yeah. And I think that there might be a little bit of an idea out there that like the staying at home order and the stress that comes from that is what's actually causing that abuse. So like a perfectly healthy, normal relationship all of a sudden abuse will just kind of like come out of nowhere because of people staying at home or people being stressed out. But really, like we know that abuse is not caused by stress. It's caused by attitudes that, you know, abusive behaviors are acceptable. 
But we also do know that like that staying home more and those feelings of stress can easily escalate maybe harmful behaviors or abusive behaviors that were already happening or that were kind of like simmering under the surface. And that can kind of like start to those feelings of stress and things can kind of start to escalate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a big myth of of being stressed out causes this or being stressed out causes this. But in reality, that person that's committing abuse on another person or being an abuser already gives themselves the permission to do those things before the stress happens, right? Like I I get stressed out, but I don't come home and kick my dog. So there's always that permission beforehand that these are acceptable behaviors and the stress is, it might escalate a situation, but it's not the cause of it. Yeah. So there's also just like a lot of barriers in general. People who, you know, might need to get help, but who have barriers in like accessing help or have a harder time getting assistance because of this virus. And also ways that maybe the abusive partner might use the virus against them to kind of gain that power and control or like use it in a way that would harm them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And looking at information from the National Domestic Violence Hotline, it's impacting survivors or could impact survivors in multiple ways. Maybe the abusive partners withholding necessary items like hand sanitizer, disinfectants as a way to maintain that power and control over their partner. Yeah. They can also kind of share maybe misinformation about what's happening as a way to keep them under control or frighten them or keep them from getting appropriate medical attention, like if they have symptoms. Um, So kind of like using that information to scare them or keep them at home or um, keep them from getting any kind of help at all. Right. And like downplaying or upplaying symptoms, maybe the the survivor in the household does have the symptoms and, and the partner's like, oh, it's not that bad. Or maybe they're upplaying symptoms to increase that anxiety that the partner might have it and is like, oh, that sounds a lot like the symptoms of the COVID-19. Just a way to keep manipulating that situation. Also, abusive partners, they might start withholding insurance cards, maybe threaten to cancel their insurance or prevent survivors from seeking medical attention if they need it. Yeah. In a lot of areas, programs that maybe would provide resources or services to survivors are also being impacted by the virus. Mm -hmm. Maybe areas that kind of help out with housing or shelter, things like that might be full or kind of shut down altogether. Thankfully, at Safe Passage, we are still open and we can still provide that support, but a lot of services might be very impacted. And, you know, survivors might very justifiably not want to go to a shelter because they don't want to be in close quarters with people or be in like a communal living situation. So that can make it really tough as well. Yeah. And especially in in rural communities or smaller towns, I'm sure that accessing services is getting a lot harder. And also just like not knowing what's open and what's available. Yeah. Maybe not having access to the, the real information coming out mm-hmm. um, or having access to information in general other than maybe what the abusive partner is watching or they're sharing devices and they just don't have access to anything that they might need. Yeah. Survivors in our community that do fit those criteria for being vulnerable Maybe they're older, maybe they have asthma and diabetes, and they fit those criteria of being the most vulnerable ones to getting the COVID-19. I'm sure 
are hesitant to leave their house or be in public places or try to reach out for support because of the the upped risk of contracting the virus. Yeah, absolutely. There's also a lot of travel restrictions. Somebody might either be at a higher risk population and not feel safe traveling or like moving location. Um, if they are in a situation where like that's necessary for their safety, it might not be an option for them. Um, mm-hmm. So they might not feel comfortable or be able to fly or use any other type of like public transportation. Um, that can be a, especially um, an issue if maybe they don't have like a vehicle. I think especially in rural communities, that's just a risk in general, but even more so now. Mm-hmm. And when we're self-isolating and we're social distancing, I think it's a prime time for abusive partners to use that to justify their isolation techniques in general and maybe even escalate those. Yeah. Even accusing their partners of like, you know, you're putting us at risk of the COVID-19 or you're doing this or that might seem more justified, you know, even though it, it is still an abusive or like isolation tactic. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think we have to think about our more marginalized communities as well. I think especially if you're in the LGBTQ plus community and you already have a barrier of reaching out for services. I think with the COVID-19 out as well, I'm sure that there's more barriers on top of that. So those are our marginalized community folks with a fear of being outed or the fear of not being able to get services or anything like that on top of the COVID-19 is going to probably impact them wanting to reach out for any type of support. Yeah, absolutely. Including also, you know, people who maybe have others in their lives or maybe their support people are people who are at a higher risk. And so then they have that kind of like conflict of like, well, do I reach out? Do I connect with those supportive people or do I, you know, maybe potentially risk exposing them? Um, And that can be a big thing to think about. Right. And when you're in in a marginalized community, there's very, sometimes can feel very narrow lanes of support and not being able to reach out to those lanes or have that can feel very alone and very isolated. Yeah. And, you know, it can be, it's not just the immediate issue too, right? Like it's also a very long-term thing, you know, it's a lot of people are saying that, you know, it's going to have some significant impacts on just like our economy in general, or maybe a family has faced a lot of job loss. And there might be some very like long lasting effects in that front, which also affects somebody's long term plan as far as like, you know, maybe leaving or getting support after an abusive relationship. So maybe they are now in a position where they're not able to save money to leave or to support themselves. And they might depend even more on that abusive partner for financial support or other types of support or, you know, be even more in a position where they can't afford housing without, you know, two incomes or just all those different types of situations that surround like those long term financial impacts as well. Right. Because, I mean, when someone is planning or thinking about planning, leaving a domestic violence situation is the most lethal time in that relationship. Like we know that when that one partner that is abusive, that power and control, if they even feel like they might be losing it, violence could escalate in the household. So when you're planning on it, or if you've been thinking about it, 
with a, maybe a recession happening or income loss that might impact that plan further out and they might have to be in that household for longer than they wanted. I think in general, it's a really interesting and kind of scary time and like the dynamic of staying home, not working or people working from home. I mean, it's something that we haven't really encountered in our lifetime before. Um, Some of us, some of us might have, but I think for us, we're learning. We're trying to make this as accessible for people in our community. We want people to be safe. We want people to be able to access resources that they need. You know, we haven't encountered having to plan for all of these things with survivors or help them think about all these things. And we haven't encountered, you know, needing to make all of our services more accessible remotely Mm -hmm. really ever before. So this is like all new territory for us, you know, as well as survivors. Yeah. And I think in the long run, it might be, it might be beneficial. And I think it will be beneficial for people in our community that want to access resources because now they'll have multiple ways to do so that for them, whatever's safe for them, they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you're not experiencing violence or you have somebody in your family that is, and maybe you're not impacted directly, maybe it's indirectly, and you're listening to this podcast, I feel like it's very overwhelming. I think being a friend or a family member of somebody that's impacted by domestic violence is something that is really hard. I think it's something that some a lot of people don't know what to do. Yeah. It can feel very overwhelming. Um, I think some things that you can do, especially now that we're all quarantined, make sure that you're able to reach out to them by phone, by text, in, in a safe way. Uh, always have an open line of communication. Checking in on your friends or family that you feel maybe are in an abusive relationship is something that we can do from our home. Just making sure that that avenue for support is always there with that partner. You can reach out to us if you or somebody you know is impacted from this, and we can talk about ways that you can support them. Give it, having our information, giving our information out is a way that you can support them. Yeah, so we, we do have a number of new ways for people to get a hold of us um, besides just our phone number. That's, you know, the phone number hotline that's available 24-7. We've also just started a text line that's also available Mm -hmm. 24-7. That is 2449-7228. And an advocate will be there to be able to text um, with anybody that reaches out to them. There is safety concerns with texting as well. Um, And our advocates are trained and know how to kind of work around that and work with people and going over all the situations to keep that safe. Yeah. And if phone or text are not options, we also have email options as well. We have safety at safepassageid.org is also a way that somebody can contact us. And kind of similarly with the text line, you know, there are always some safety concerns and our advocates are really good at being able to kind of go over those and make sure that it is happening in the safest way possible. Also have an Instagram account. The handle is at safe passage team. You can direct message that account as well. If there's any questions, you can follow it for information and uh, we're always updating different things on our Instagram. Yeah. 
And, you know, one note about messaging on Instagram, if it's a really, really time sensitive issue, uh, it would probably be better to go with like the phone or the text option because the Instagram isn't necessarily always monitored 24-7. So that is a good way to get a hold of us, but it's not necessarily the most time effective way to get a hold of us. Yeah. And we are always posting on our Facebook. You can follow us at Safe Passage Violence Prevention Center. We're always posting information on how to support people on the Facebook as well. Yeah, so I think, you know, sometimes this information can all seem very, like, frustrating and overwhelming and, like, things are never going to look positive again. But, you know, that's not really the case. There are, you know, a lot of positive things happening and a lot of good news that's happening. Even just us at Safe Passage, we've been seeing a lot of really great and encouraging ways that our community has come together to just support each other. Just in, you know, people bringing donations into us and just being very, very responsive to all of the, you know, needs that we have, like toilet paper and cleaning supplies. Yeah. And just being really, really coming together, community service organizations kind of banding together um, and working together to do everything that we can to just, you know, meet as many community needs as we can during this very strange time. And you know, I'm I'm from Coeur d'Alene and this community is has always been amazing, but especially from in the COVID-19, they've really stepped up and supported us and supported our mission. Uh, and I wouldn't expect anything less from them. Yeah, it's been very great. So if you're sitting there thinking about what you can do, maybe this isn't something that you're directly impacted by. Um, we're always obviously you can follow our Facebook. We'll, we're going to update it and give out information that maybe the things that we need, like gas cards, grocery cards, anything like that. Um, You can share information that we have on there. You never know if there's somebody on your Facebook account that is going through something like this. And just being able to give out a number or an email or a text line is going to be a way to help support them. Yeah. Just letting people know that like we are still here, you know, we're still open our phone number, our text line, all of that is still available. So just like reminding people that we are here and we're, you know, hopefully able to provide the resources and support that someone in a situation like that might need. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, Sexual Assault Awareness Month and Child Abuse Action Month. We are doing it all online remotely. So obviously sharing that information Uh, engaging in conversations, maybe in the household or people you talk to over the phone. We just want to bring awareness and support to those two big months and two big issues that we have. Uh, We do have our social media campaign. We're going to learn a lot about consent during that, which is always a good topic to talk about. We have denim day, which I know a lot of people are not trying to wear jeans inside or any denim, but put your (laughs) denim jacket on. Um, That's going to be on April 29th. This has been going on for years. It comes from a court case in Italy, I believe, where the judge ruled that a sexual assault didn't happen because the victim's jeans were too tight and there was no way that the perpetrator could get them off of them. So we have National Denim Day now on April 29th. So we are going to be wearing our denim, post it on social media. You can tag us in it. We'd love to see all the denim on April 29th. 
Yeah, and kind of like we did mention, we have a lot of recorded videos that we're putting on our YouTube page, so keep an eye out and kind of check those videos out as well if that's something that you're looking for more information about or anything like that. We have that available as well. Um, Child Abuse Action Month, we're going to talk about what our Children's Advocacy Center does, how children are resilient, like what resiliency skills they have and what they might need, um, any supplies that they might need at the Children's Advocacy Center. So look for more information throughout the month on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Amanda, what have you been doing for self-care during this working from home and social distancing and all of that? Listen, I I like it. I like being by myself in general. <laughs> but to keep my mind focused and there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. Um, I like to hike by myself with no one else, practicing social distancing. I like to read books. I like to turn off the news every now and then. I like to just sit outside sometimes and the weather's getting nicer. So just being able to soak in some sun. And I like to binge watch some Netflix. Yes. What have you been doing? I have also been loving to sit outside in the sun or walk outside in the sun, staying six feet away from everybody. Yes, yes. (laughs) Tried going biking. I realized I was very out of shape from the winter. (laughs) Listen, biking is harder than you think. You're like, oh, I'm going to go to stroll. And then (laughs) you're sweating. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Also watching copious quantities of parks and recreation. Yes, yes. Have you binge watched The Tiger King yet? I have binge watched The Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's keeping us all very entertained while we're staying at home. Yes. I think for the community, just making sure that whatever you're into, reading, drawing, playing music, working out, making sure you're doing something to take care of yourself making sure that the people around you are taking care of themselves as well. Yeah. You know, social distancing doesn't mean that we have to be isolated. You know, we can always check in on each other. And thankfully, we're doing this in 2020 when technology is so advanced that we, most of us do have options for communicating with each other and checking in and just making sure that everyone in our lives is doing okay. Mm -hmm. If not, we'd be writing letters back and forth, which I'm into. If anybody wants to be my pen pal, I'm in. (laughs) my handwriting's not good enough for that (laughs) no I would type it out probably well awesome any final information no anybody that made it this far thank you so much for listening to our first ever podcast um I think we'll be doing some more throughout the month maybe the year again if anybody has any questions concerns thoughts any words of encouragement please let us know on any of the platforms that we talked about Um, If you want to hear anything specific, if you want us to go over specific topics, let us know. We will do our best to do it. We want to keep the community involved as much as possible and making sure that survivors in our community feel supported. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sticking out the podcast this far. This has been a double learning curve because we're learning how to make a podcast and we're learning how to make a podcast remotely, both at the same time. So... So, until next time, Olivia. Stay safe. Stay safe. Wash your hands. All right.